Good morning. This morning, uh, in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans, we come to chapter 1 and verses 24 through 32. Not my favorite passage in the world, but it's come up for me to preach it, and uh, here we go. Uh, We're going to see the downward spiral and devolution, not evolution, but devolution of mankind as he chose to reject and refuse to retain the knowledge of God. And it's an awful consequence to that sin. So, as we begin our study, read with me verses 24 through 32, and see if you can grasp the severity of sin as God abandons men and women to it, and He abandons nations, and He abandons a world to sin and lust, and its evil passions. Let's read it together. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. And when we talk about impurity, we're not just talking about sexual sin, although that obviously we live in a sex-crazed world, but it includes all kinds of impurities, anything that would defy the, the, the righteousness of God. And he says, uh, to impurity so that their their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's if Paul, right in the middle of this filth, has to bring in a doxology just to, to continue writing. He says, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural in the same way. Also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, as if there's not enough evil in the world today. Let's invent some. Disobedient to parents. It's interesting that that's in there. Think about that while we're going through this. Then he says, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. He says, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them, cheerleading each other on. Now, What we just read is the story of mankind. It's the story of nations, their rise and fall. It's literally the story of our world. As in the days of Noah, when the thoughts of men's hearts were continually evil, God sent the flood and wiped it out and started it over, and we're about to the same place again today. It's the story of our world. When men individually and collectively chose not to retain and they reject the knowledge of God, Because that's the story of the fall. Because when Adam and Eve chose to sin and and disregard God and disregard God's command not to eat of the knowledge of the fruit of the tree of good and evil, 
and they chose to uh, go contrary to his word. They set in motion a devolution in thinking that took man from the knowledge and understanding of God into the abyss of idolatry and self-worship and sin. And it's been a downward spiral ever since. As mankind continues to come up with new and creative ways to worship himself and satisfy his sinful cravings and lusts. In short, men and women are sinners. That's what we really need to know. And Paul is establishing that in the first three chapters of Romans in a sense that you will never again think of man as basically good. Because he's not. He's basically evil. He's a sinner. It's a good word. We need to use it more often in our conversation. And you add to that man's cheerleaders, Satan and his demons, the world haters, because they do everything they possibly can to destroy men's lives. And, and the major way he does it is through sin, because sin destroys, brings us under the judgment of God, plus the consequences that just happen because you're sinning. Uh, and you end up with a world much like our own. A world ripe for judgment, but too lost in its sin and depravity to turn back. You know, the line has been crossed quite a while ago, and judgment awaits. That's the story of this passage. What we have in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 32, is that story. A story that has been repeated, it's repeated itself over and over throughout history as as people rise and fall, as nations rise and fall, and usually they're, you know, like the Roman Empire was really never really conquered, it just rotted from within because of its lasciviousness and its sin. And, and uh, we're going to see that process today, but uh, it's repeated over and over throughout history and a story that will one day culminate, Jesus tells us, just as in the days of Noah. As he talks about the end times. And, and what was it in the days of Noah? Well, they had disregarded God to the point where the thoughts of men's hearts were continually evil. And I don't know about you, but I think we're pretty close to that place. It will end with the second coming of Jesus Christ at the Battle of Armageddon. And then he'll set up a thousand-year reign of righteousness, and yet man, even in a perfect environment, will not be able to withstand the, the call of sin, even when Satan is bound and chained. And, and at the end of that thousand years, there's a terrible rebellion that's, that's squelched by God, and then we go into the eternal state. But sin is the most powerful force on earth, except for Jesus Christ and the gospel. And although this is the story of nations, it's the story of our culture. We continue to devolve in our acknowledgement and understanding of God and the Word of God and the gospel of Christ, and God continues to progressively abandon our nation to its sin. And we sink deeper and deeper into depravity. And although this is the story of the fall of nations, this is also increasingly becoming our story. We are now living what I call this nightmare as God continues to abandon this nation to its sin as God's judgment of sin is worse sin, as we're going to see. And, and we are seeing how this 
process continues in our nation. We are now experiencing this process. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them up. And we're going to see that process. And we can actually look and see because we're living it. It's a terrible thing to happen. Many have called this the wrath of abandonment. So let's look at when God abandons the people to their sin. Notice to begin with, God gives them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Remember, impurity is more than sexual sin. It includes sexual sin, but, but it's idolatry. It's just doing your own thing. It's worshiping the gods of gold and silver and whatever. But uh, notice in verse 24 and 25, he says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, people just using each other for their own lusts. For they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. That's a definite article there. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And Paul ends with a, a great doxology here. The creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He just can't keep continuing talking about this sin. He's got to throw that in just to, uh, I think, keep his sanity. Now, the first thing we need to ask ourselves is, what is the therefore, therefore, as we often say? Uh, well, back up to verse 21. Man was innately given the knowledge of God, and, and it says in verse 24, 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Man didn't go from pagan idolatry to the knowledge of God somehow and then descend. He started out with the knowledge of God. God created him in the garden and God had fellowship with Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve chose to do their own thing. They chose to be their own gods. So he is not evolved, he is devolved from the knowledge of God into false worship. And he says... Uh, to impurity, so their bodies would be uh, dishonored among them, and so on and so forth. They exchange the truth of God for the lie. Now, follow the reasoning here. Man is devolved from knowing God to not honoring or glorifying God or being thankful to God for the life that he's given him, to futile speculations, to a foolish heart, to being a fool, to exchanging God's glory so that he might glorify and worship himself and the natural elements. That's the devolution that's taken place. God down to here. And that's mankind and his fall into deeper and deeper sin. And, and they, they, therefore God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to sexual sin, to idolatry, to the worship of false gods and familiar spirits, demon worship, and ultimately to the worship of self. You know, and we see that uh, throughout our culture, don't we? Oh, you got to learn to love yourself first before you can love somebody else. Uh, no, Jesus said, become another person's servant and you'll learn to love. Uh, you know, we got to have self-esteem. we got to have self-fulfillment. we got to have self-satisfaction. Self, 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 self. We're just, it's shoved down our throats continually, isn't it? Everything's self. Everything we do is for self, and that includes all kinds of sin and lusts, and it's a terrible master, self. And we exchange the truth of God, 
that he is the sovereign and creator of life, and we buy into the lie, and what's that? Well, in the day you eat of the fruit of the tree, you'll be like God. In other words, you'll be able to call the shots, you'll be able to determine what's right and wrong, you'll be able to do whatever you want according to you. That's the worship of self, that's impurity. Um, and who can resist the temptation to be godlike? How many of you would not like to be ruling a kingdom? How many of you would not like to be ruling your household or ruling someone else? And, you know, we, we love the idea of being autonomous and, and ruling and calling the shots and telling everybody else what to do. And we worship and serve ourselves rather than the Creator who is blessed forever, Paul says. Then Paul adds, amen, so be it. That's the truth, so be it. Let God be the creator. Let God be the sovereign. Let God be master over your life rather than yourself. That's what he's saying. But the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, Psalms 14.1. Man wants to live his life without restraint, without consequence, and without accountability. And I remember reading about Aldous Huxley one time, a English scientist back in the day when, and he's asked why he bought into Darwinian philosophy, and he basically said, I want to live without restraint, I want to live without consequence, and I want to live without accountability to a God who would hold me accountable for how I wanted to live because I just want to live a sinful life, I just want to do what I want to do, and I don't want to think anybody's in charge of my life, period. In other words, I want to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. I want to be, be sovereign over my own life. I don't want restraint. I don't want consequence. I don't want accountability. I just want to do my own thing. And that's a common phrase today. Just let me be me. <laughs> let me do my own thing. And so on and so forth. And, and that's a hard thing to deal with. Uh, I would just want to be my own person. I want to be God like myself. And as the worship of the true God is abandoned, man himself is abandoned or given over by God in the lust of his heart to sin. And restraint is removed. We know what now restrains the world. John 16, the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. But someday the church is going to be taken out of the world. God will again turn to Israel to be his vehicle of testimony, but what's going to restrain sin during the tribulation? That's when sin just breaks loose and is set free to do whatever it wants, and millions and billions will die in the process. That's the power of sin. Well, restraint is removed, consequences are disregarded. And accountability becomes a thing of the past. Man is given over in the lusts of his fallen heart to impurity. You know, John 3.19 says, when it's talking about God loving the world, it uses the same word for men loving the darkness. And it says, men love the darkness. They wouldn't come to the light. Why? Because, what? Their deeds were evil. They love their sin more than they love the light, the, the righteousness of God. And um, I remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 23, he says, if the light that is in you is darkness, then how great is the darkness? Think about that. 
The light that is in men, unregenerate men, is darkness. And if that's the light that's shining out of them, how dark is the darkness, really? Can anything be darker than darkness? Think about it. But it doesn't stop there, does it? As man sinks deeper into his disregard and rejection of God, God gives him over to degrading passions. Look at verses 26 and 27. It says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men. And he uses a generic term here for for men and women. He uses the word female and male. He doesn't use the more dignified term uh, man and woman. But he says uh, men with men in decent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their heir. In other words, there are consequences to this particular lifestyle. Now, obviously, here Paul is talking about the sin of homosexuality. Women with women, men with men, indulging themselves in unnatural, degrading lusts and passions, degrading the fact that homosexuality is totally contrary to the natural order. It's a sheer abandonment to lust and unnatural affections. Not even the animals indulge in this type of behavior. They don't. They procreate the race. They don't just do it for the sheer lust of it. And this is just sheer lust. It serves no natural purpose or function. Think about that. If an entire generation was homosexual, where would the next generation be? Without modern science, of course, because we can usurp the place of God. But the natural order of things is works naturally, not unnaturally. But you see, a man, as man devolves in his knowledge and understanding of God and his word, there are no depths to which he can't sink. And Paul chose the sin of homosexuality. He could have chose other sins to, to illustrate that. But notice again why God chose to give mankind over to these base, degrading passions. Look again at verse 25. For they exchange the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature. You know, it sort of uh, redefines your understanding of false worship, doesn't it? That's why in Israel, I was just reading about Israel this morning and when the Assyrians came and, and took care of the problem, and they supposedly worshiped the true God. They, they went through the motions, and, and they also worshiped Ashtaroth, Baal, Chemosh, and on and on, some of those things I can't even pronounce. But they worshiped all the gods of the peoples under the oaks and terebinth and so on and so forth, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and it always had to do with sexual sin and degrading passions. Man worshipped himself. He worshipped his needs. He worshipped his passions. He worshipped his sinful desires. You see, as man continues to reject God, God continues to reject man. And the resulting judgment is severe and severe sinful behavior. And man proceeds from sexual immorality and idolatry of self 
to perverse and degrading sexual immorality, unnatural sexual immorality, as he sinks into his sin further and further and further. It's interesting to watch in our society. Several weeks ago, I read an article <clears throat> that said there was a huge increase in the HIV cases in Western Europe, particularly because they were having drug-induced parties and celebrations using meth and other drugs to heighten the sexual experience, which is a tragedy, just abandoning yourself to your lusts and passions. And, and uh, one person, when asked about the danger of being infected, simply said, I'm going to get it anyway, so I might as well just have fun doing it. How do you deal with that attitude? Well, it's going to happen to me anyway, so I might as well just have fun doing it until it happens, and then I die. No consequence, no restraint, no understanding that there's an accountability to the true God. And that's where we come in. We give them that accountability, right? We share the gospel with them. There is good news and this bad news you're trying to get good news out of. And uh, that's our calling. You see, that's the attitude that's out there as people cultivate a life and lifestyle of sin without restraint, without seeming consequence, without accountability to their creator. But we know that that's not the case, don't we? You know, we have... HIV, STDs, broken lives, that's the tragedy of it all. Confused, just messed up thinking out there and just the inability to put two and two together. And uh, that's the tragedy of it. Men without Christ become lost in their sin. But even degrading passions are not the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. As God judges, as judge, God's judgment falls on a person or a people or a world, because finally God gives them over to a depraved mind. Look at verses 28 through 31. And probably this is one of the worst cataloging of sins that's ever been written down apart from 2 Timothy 3 that we read earlier. But he says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. Notice, there's an understanding there's a God out there. There is a true God, but don't acknowledge him. Let's kick him out. You know, they kick God out of the schools. They kick God out of whatever, everywhere. They're trying to kick God, kick the Bible out, kick, kick the Ten Commandments out of the courtroom. Kick, you know, just get rid of God and we can live the way we want. But when that happens, it says God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. You know, innately, man is born knowing what's kind of like what's right and wrong. Obviously, parents got to teach them that, but, but uh, they know that murder is wrong. They know that rape is wrong. They know those things are wrong, innately. But you can sear your conscience as with a branding iron, 1 Timothy 4 says. And so it says, being filled with all unrighteousness. Wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanders. Notice slanders and haters of God are put together because Satan is what? The Diabolos, the slanderer, the liar. 
He's the father of lie, murder and the father of lies. And when a man is following him, what does he do? He lies, he slanders, he hates God, right? Because if you're of your father, the devil, that's what happens. So all these things become a reality and they, they captivate a person. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, as if evil wasn't good enough. Disobedient to parents. That's amazing that that's in there, isn't it? That's scary that that's in there. Then he says, uh, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Now, the Greek word here for depraved mind can mean worthless or unapproved or rejected or reprobate. In other words, a mind that can no longer think right, a mind that can no longer put two and two together and get four. It's a mind where basically wrong is right and right is wrong, and when the mind can no longer think in terms of right and wrong, what's left? What's left in a society? In a society where right has become wrong and wrong has become right, what's left? Where do you go from here? How do you bring people back into a moral accountability of understanding of what's right and wrong? That's a tragedy above all tragedies. Anytime the mind is shot, you know, it amazed me in, I think it was 2012, where one of the political parties, their political platform was contraceptive, abortion, and gay rights. When that happens, something's wrong. You know, even the slogan, Make America Great Again, tells us there's got to be something wrong. Why do we have to become great again? We were once great. But we need to be great again, not just economically, not just uh, politically, but we need to become great for God. We need to turn our hearts and minds back to God, back to the gospel, back to what's right and wrong, really right and wrong, not what's legal, what's right and wrong. You know, I think of Peter as he's before the Sanhedrin. They say, we told you not to teach in this name and blah, blah. And Peter just goes, well, whether it's right to listen to you or God, you be the judge because we got to do what we're doing. So you got to stand for truth. You got to stand for the gospel. You got to stand for Christ in an increasingly hostile type world that's not real excited about acknowledging God or acknowledging Christ or acknowledging the gospel. <clears throat> Guess where our society is at? I'll let you be the judge. Are we just at impurity? Are we just at degrading passions? Or are we at the depraved mind state where people can no longer think right? Think about it. Since the 60s, because of our increasing rejection of God, we've become increasingly immoral and sex-crazed, I guess you could say. The LBGQT agenda has begun to have a massive influence on our culture, and to put it quite frankly, we as a country are losing our minds. Our society is becoming depraved. We can no longer think right. Hate to say it, 
it's increasingly just like in the days of Noah when the thoughts of men's hearts were continually evil. And let me tell you, this is not a fun message to preach, but it's a real message, and it's, I think, dissecting our culture and where it's at pretty accurately. But the real issue is man's heart, isn't it? And his mind, and the only remedy for that is the gospel. And I hope you knew I'd get there, because I'm depressed right now. And as universal as the problem is, so is the cure. Now, let me read you the problem again. Man is filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Now, I could define each one of those attributes of our fallen nature, but you'd want to throw up by the time I was done, but, but I think they're self-evident. Man is immoral, degrading, and depraved. The Scripture declares it, history illustrates it over and over and over again. All of mankind is under the judgment and wrath of God because it tells us in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, what? suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You know, there's enough truth out there where men have to suppress it in their sin. They love the darkness and won't come to the light. They love the sin, and that's where you come in. That's where I come in. We are the light in the darkness. We expose man's darkness. We expose his sin, and who knows how he's going to respond. He may respond in repentance, or he may respond by killing you or beating you. You know, read 2 Corinthians 11 and Paul, you know, beaten five times with uh, 39 stripes, three times he was beaten with rods, stone, thrown out for dead, on and on it goes. There's no guarantee that if we stand for Christ and the gospel that we're going to be loved by everybody. But the truth is the only remedy for the darkness. That's it. It's the only remedy there is. All of mankind is under the judgment and wrath of God, and rightfully so because of his sin and rebellion. So he just keeps sinking deeper into sin as God gives him over. And our job is to reach down into the darkness and pull them out with the gospel. Some will give you their hand, others will shake their fist at you. But that's just life. But bleak as that picture is, there's a brighter picture be, to behold, and that's the gospel. Gospel is the most, there, there's a reason the gospel means good news, because this world is just filled with bad news. Uh, I think the, the, the news stations just eat up on that stuff, don't they? I mean, when was the last time you saw a news station that all just had, well, you know, this wonderful thing happened over here, and this wonderful thing happened here, and and gee, it's great to see people reacting like this, and, and oh, aren't they wonderful? And, you know, they, our world thrives on bad news, but we have good news. We have the gospel. Listen to Paul's words to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1. Remember, he says, 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Man spiritually dead. He says, you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. Not only were you dead, you were satanically energized. This is pre-Christ. Then he says, and we too all formerly live in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Children destined for wrath. That's, that's all mankind. But then he says, but God, what? Being rich in mercy because of the great love, mega love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then he has that little phrase, by grace you are saved. Not anything on your own effort, not, not you earning somehow having to earn God's favor and working a lifetime to overcome all the sin that you did. But you're forgiven. God sheds his grace, 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 greater than all our sin, and gives it to us freely. What a powerful message. You know, I, I think of uh, 2 Corinthians. Turn there and read this to you. It's a very familiar passage, but it talks about Satan's influence and the gospel's influence. And he says in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 4, 3, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Boy, that's a series of sermons right there in one message. Amazing passage. You see, as bleak and hopeless as our world appears, there is hope for all mankind in the gospel. There's hope for you here this morning. You know, Satan is a world hater. He would like nothing more than to destroy your life with sin. And without Christ, he is. As a Christian, you can repent and confess your sin and, and get it right with God. But if you're an unbeliever at this point, if you have not yet received Christ, Satan is destroying you. And he revels in the fact, whether it be through self-righteousness or whether it just be through a sinful, wretched life. He's destroying you, and he revels in the fact. But the good news is that uh, Christ is the world lover. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ is the world lover, not the world hater. John or Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death. And Satan knows that. He would love to spend eternity in hell with you because hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Man only follows him there if he chooses to. If you choose to follow Christ, heaven awaits because it says the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It is such a powerful... It is a... The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's a free gift. 
That's what awaits. That's why it's such good news. You know, how powerful is that? So what will it be? Wrath or redemption? Judgment or forgiveness? Heaven or hell? The choice is yours despite the world we live in. Christ came to save sinners, and guess what? We all qualify. I don't have any problem with that. I knew I was a sinner when I became a saint by accepting Christ. And uh, I had no problem with the fact that I was a sinner. I was somewhere in that list. I'm not going to tell you where, but I was somewhere probably in one and three. But God saved me, gave me eternal life for free. I'm just serving him now saying thank you for what he's already done. I'm not trying to earn his favor, not trying to get your favor or anybody's favor. I've already got God's favor. Now when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his own son in me. For God made him who know no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. So, we've seen that when man rejects the person and knowledge of God, God gives them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. He surrenders them to degrading passions. He gives them over to a worthless, depraved thinking mode. And then fourthly and finally, to a shameless society. And I save this for last because I think it is increasingly becoming what our nation is becoming. Verse 32, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, both here in time and in eternity, they not only do the same but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. They cheer one another on. Now, according to God's Word, much of what we talked about was in many places, mainly in Islamic countries today, is still a capital offense. Fornication, adultery, sexual perversion, murder, and even disobedience of parents, all punishable by death in the Old Testament when Paul wrote this. But things have changed, haven't they? Today we applaud the sexual sewer flowing out of Hollywood, right? We as a society are not to just recognize there's a homosexual element. They're, they're free to do that. That's not the only sin in the world, uh, although it's becoming... A big, huge issue, but we're even to applaud and promote it. That's where the problem comes in. People sin. I mean, sinners act like sinners. Don't expect them to act like saints. You know, sin is sin, whatever form it takes, but that doesn't mean I have to applaud it and go, Yahoo for you. I'm glad you're such a sinner. I just really appreciate that. You know, same with murdering babies. It's not that it happens. It's that we've legalized it and made it normative. In many areas now, right is wrong, wrong is right, as God gives us over to a depraved, shameless society where we knowingly do what's wrong and we applaud and encourage others to do the same. We no longer tolerate evil. We are expected to applaud it and promote it. That's the tragedy. Now, let me close with these words. I painted with a pretty broad brush this morning, uh, trying not to get too specific on a lot of issues because they're just, there's so many things to illustrate, it's not even funny. But 
I painted with a pretty broad brush this morning, but as we look at our society and our world, these truths are pretty much describe the condition of all men. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some are immoral, some are perverted, some are depraved, but guess what? They're all sinners. That's the point. That's the point Paul's making. They're all sinners, no matter what the sin may be. No sin is, well, I can't say that. All sins have consequence. Some sins have greater consequences than others, but all sin is sin. All sin divides a man from God, right? Separates a man from God as he rejects God and he rejects God's word. So these truths are pretty much describe the condition of all men because all are sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. And I said some are immoral, some are perverted, some are depraved, but all are sinners. The gospel is their only hope of redemption. That's it. Not whether they become a conservative not whether they join a particular party, not whether they uh, subscribe to a certain magazine or whatever, but the re- gospel is their only hope of redemption. And that's Paul's point in Romans, and I hope it's ours. Because only Jesus Christ, through the power of the gospel, can break through the hardness of the sinful, wicked, depraved human heart. You know, in Matthew, Jesus did hundreds of miracles. But you know, the greatest miracle was when he would break through a human heart, the crust of sin that was around it. Because that's the only miracle that lasted. I don't care what you were healed of in the Gospels, you were dead within a number of years. (laughs) Just the way it is. It's life on this planet. You live, you die. But you don't want to die the second death, the judgment seat before Christ in Revelation chapter 20, where men are sentenced to the second death. That's the tragedy of life, that men would go through that. We're all going to die here sooner or later, some sooner than later, but uh, myself included. But the gospel gives us hope for eternity because only Jesus Christ through the power of the gospel can break through the hardness of the human heart. That's the greatest miracle of all. When God transfers us from the domain of darkness, the domain of sin and Satan and self-worship and so on and so forth, and transfers us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, and remember this last line, in whom we have redemption. What is redemption? The forgiveness of our sins. All these sins I've talked about, Christ can forgive. You know, the only sin he cannot forgive is simply the sin of unbelief, attributing the gospel of the Holy Spirit to Satan. It's the only sin he cannot forgive. All these other sins, you know, they're, they seem horrible and they're awful, and they are, but they can be forgiven. You know, like in 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you. I would go so far as to say such were all of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that in a world characterized by bad news, by evil, by wickedness, by depravity, by degrading passions, by impurity, that as men exchange the glory of God for the lie, we 
We realize that we have the truth. And Lord, we can spread that truth. And I, I just pray you'd put it in our hearts to realize that really the only remedy of what we're seeing both in individuals' lives and in our country's life and our world's life is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Only that has the power to break the power of sin. And thank you that we have the remedy to the world's problems. I just pray we'll be faithful in dispensing it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.